Welcome to the Power Women in Insurance Show with your host, Teresa Kitchens. Join us as we laugh, talk about hard issues, support each other, and make our industry and our world a better place. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Power Women in Insurance podcast. This week, we have Monica Edwani, and she is amazing. And guys, I met uh, Monica through this podcasting network type situation. We were actually connected through another agency owner, uh, Troy Thompson, shout out. And um, he connected us and we have just become really great friends. We talk online all the time. We talk, we support each other on all of our social media. And we found that we have a deep love of Brene Brown together because we were on each other's podcasts and we talked about Brene Brown. So today we're coming to you with a Brene Brown round overview of the one of our favorite books the gifts of imperfection so monica welcome how are you thank you thank you for having me i am pretty good and happy we're doing this uh together um a lot of reading happened for these two come live so really really excited to be here um and doing another episode this is number two yeah. number three actually number three that's true we have Number three. So um, really excited to be here. Yeah. And this is what I would call kind of a, a fix the head episode. So what a lot of times what we talk about are maybe a little bit more of the mechanics of business. Maybe we talk about the, the heart of business. Maybe we've talked about hiring. We've talked about what people do during their day and how they came into insurance. But today, everybody, we are talking about a little bit more of our minds, our hearts, our focuses. And this is business, but at the same point, it's us. It's very personal. But when we come to the table as a team member or as a leader, we need to make sure that we are in the best headspace possible to be able to lead in a healthy way. So with that, Monica and I wanted to be able to have this conversation so that we can encourage all the powerful women out there to know themselves, to grow themselves, and to be the best version of themselves that they can be. So that's why we're doing this podcast today. And Monica, tell us a little bit about what you've been working on professionally recently because you are everywhere, girl. And I am thrilled. You have a great podcast. You have great business pursuits going on. You are awesome. So tell everybody what you got going on. And then we're going to dig deep into this book. Well, first off, I have to say, if it wasn't for people like yourself, I wouldn't be doing everything I'm doing, right? Because if I don't know if you guys have heard the episode Teresa and I did together, but when she initially interviewed me, I was coming out at a very, very dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think this episode is very appropriate because it talks about that journey of embracing, you know, empowerment and embracing vulnerability and embracing who you are. So it's been a whole year and change of transformation. So what's what's Monica doing? Well, I'm still leading amazing insurance teams uh, within the uh, independent channel. So I I will never stop doing that. We just recently uh, opened a virtual professional company called Savital. And we are bringing um, BPs. We're not going to call them BAs. We call them BPs because they are um, amazing college graduates looking for better opportunities. And we're creating something 
really, really amazing to help not just agency owners, but also all small business owners and medium-sized business owners. So we are not just focusing on the insurance landscape. Okay. We're focusing on other areas because we feel with the current situation in the world, everyone deserves an opportunity to be able to grow. So we are taking um, the next step of virtual professionals. So that's really exciting. Um, and just continuing to work with women. Uh, a lot, uh, it's it's happening, you know, we have great collaborations with Sarah Bradshaw and her Might Network, um, having opportunities to go to conferences and stuff like that. So it's just been a very fulfilling year and change. Um, and I'm just really happy to have the uh, people that I can count on and, and lean on and learn from. So that's what's happening in my world. No, and I think that's awesome. And I love the fact that when we first talked, like you mentioned, you were kind of coming out of one business and professional situation and you were kind of getting your feet started, you know, or your feet planted in another. And now here we are a little bit over a year later and you are in such a great place and you found such a place that sets your soul on fire. And um, I think that's something that we all need to remember is that sometimes we do go through those dark situations. We go through those difficult situations. Just give it time. Just put one foot in front of the other and we're going to find our way. We're going to find our space and we're going to make sure that it works. So I love that you have you have you have found it and you are finding it as you continue yes, to go. It, it, it is a journey. And I think for everyone out there that is listening, it is important to know that you don't have to do it alone. Mm. Uh, I, I had that misconception, like this is my journey and I have to make it work. And, you know, I was so reluctant to tell my story because I didn't want to be, you know, targeted or judged. Right. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone and just surround yourself with people that can bring that light into, into your day to day. And I think that's a great segue for what we're going to speak about today, because it's all about embracing who you are. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. So this is a book that I think has really helped both of us over the course of last year. And this is actually a 10 year old book. So she actually mm -hmm. kind of redid the cover a little bit for the 10th anniversary, which actually is what brought it to my attention. But um, it's called The Gift of Imperfection. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and yeah. embrace who you are. And that really grabbed me. It was, she's been featured on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. If you know Brittany Brown, she has a great podcast on Spotify called Unlocking Us. She also has another podcast called Dare uh, Dare to Lead. Sorry, I'm going Dare to be different. I was like, where does that come from? I know that's not what it is, but it's called <laughs> Dare to Lead. And um, she is a she is a studier. She is a full-on social worker, all these, you know, LMSW. Um, she is, she, she has devoted her career to being able to study shame and people's esteem and why people do the things that they do. So that is where we're getting started. But I want to get us started today because she talks about wholehearted living. And I love that term. But she starts off the book literally on page one at the very, very beginning. And this is what I wanted to frame our whole discussion today about 
is wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done today and what is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I'm imperfect and I'm vulnerable. And sometimes I'm afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I'm also brave and worthy of love and belonging. I love that. Yes. I have it highlighted because, you know, it is something that you need to remind yourself every day. I am enough. I belong. Right. I feel like depending on what, and regardless of what circumstances you've been raised, um, what, you know, situations you've been in life, there is always this little voice telling you that whatever you do, it's never enough because you are not pleasing others or you don't have the approval of others or you are just expecting others to receive you with open arms yep. when you just need to receive yourself with open arms and accept that you're just doing this for you, not for others. So I, that first paragraph was like, well, this is how this book is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to start this off pretty darn, you know, pretty darn talking about me at that point, you know? And I love the fact that it really talks to about the fact that we can acknowledge that things are not perfect. We can acknowledge maybe that we didn't get things done, right? That we didn't accomplish all of our little check boxes for the day, but we can still say at the end of the day that it's our choice to be able to remind ourselves that we are worthy, that we are valuable and that we have to have. And I love the fact that she says this at the very end of that. She says that we, um, we have to have the courage that we're brave and that we're worthy of love of love and belonging, that this is, um, that it means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection. And I think we want that from other people. And I think that when we go on out and we look for other people, right, we bond with people that make us feel courageous, people that make us feel connected, mm -hmm. but we don't give ourselves that same love and that same gift back. And we want other people to fill our cup with courage. We want that person, mm -hmm. you know, when we're in the bathroom having a moment, we want somebody to come on in and pull us back up, right? And love on us and give us the courage to go back out there and, and conquer the day. But we don't do that for ourselves. So I love the fact right. that what she starts off with here is that we have to be that courageous compassion connection and do it for ourselves, because she picks up very vulnerable moments of when we wake up in the morning and when we go to bed, because when those moments are there, we're the only people in that space, typically in our heads. And that have control, right? Because, yeah. you know, one of the things she mentions here on the book, it's, you know, the heart of compassion is really acceptance. Mm. So when you show yourself compassion and, and, and you are able to accept yourself, then you can demonstrate to yourself that courage that it takes to lift yourself up, right? So I think it's just a matter of how to learn to give yourself the permission to do the same that you do for your kids or your husband or your mother or anyone that you love. You need to start 
here, right? Like always the circle and the, and the arrow goes back to you, but nobody teaches us how to do that. So how do we do that is the question, right? Well, and if you listen to a lot of Brene Brown, she, she uses a term all the time that, that I love, that it's very common, but at the same point when she uses it, it really struck me. She said, do the work. She talks about the fact that she does the work. She talks about the fact that we have to do the work and it's not just the work of like her putting together a book, right. Or the, the mm-hmm. work that she does of built of doing the, the work that she does. It's also that we need to do the work that we need to do on ourselves rather than living a life that is um, not conscious, right. That is just kind of absent-minded. And then we just want everybody else to come fill our cup, but being conscious and being aware says I have to fill my cup and that's doing the work sometimes because it's work to do that. Right. Right. And I just love that part of that work that she mentions is creating uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. We don't, we like, it's so difficult to create those, right? Like we are on a 110 mile an hour trying to um, take care of the house, take care of the kids, take care of the business, take care of this, take care of that. But we don't set boundaries to take care of ourselves. And I think um, one of the uh, things I've learned from, you know, when she says do the work, it's do the work, but also apply it and create these specific, you know, pockets of time uh, and these boundaries. And I mean, she goes very deep into what boundaries are. Um, and there is all sorts of boundaries, but, you know, from my perspective, just creating that boundary of this is my time was huge, was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it allows us to love ourselves and allows us to love other people more because she yeah. talks in here before she started with boundaries, she was sweeter, but she was also much more judgy, you know, yeah. and how many of us do that? We give, 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 but then we're angry, angry, angry at the fact that we gave, 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 gave. And whether or not we're agency owners or we're like in a consulting, if we are in that in that in that framework of whether or not, you know, we, we need to work with our team members, we come home, we have families, sometimes by the end of the day, we just get to the point where we're exhausted from giving all day long. But it's because if we don't put up those boundaries of saying I need some me time or I need whatever, whatever it might be, right? I need some girl time. I need some me time. I need to just go to a movie, right? I need to just go and, I mean, for me, you know, give me a, a, a dry erase board and let me think things through, you know, and yeah. let me process. But if I don't put up those boundaries, I become angry. Mm-hmm. And even I might be like sweet on the outside, but on the inside, I'm going, me, 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 <laughs> you know? And that's not a good place for me to be. I got to say that right now. I just not. So, I love when she, she mentions, you know, I've gained permission to fall apart and be imperfect because it just, it's just fixed, you know, to that like angry voice of like, rah, rah, rah. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I love you dude. Like you, you, you need those moments too. Yes. It's not like you can not have them or you don't need to have them or you shouldn't have them. You need them in order to identify the why and how are you going to build that up and make it into a positive experience, right? So I just love that you shared that. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, there's something that I call, and I think we talked about this on your podcast, um, 
Transcend with M is a great podcast. And I think we talked about this, that I have this um, term that I use called spiritual hyperventilation. And it's when, you know, our spirits are just... Mm-hmm. it's this point where like our spirit can't get enough air. Right. And we're just yeah. this, we're just this hyperventilation, right. Where it's a very shallow breathing of our spirit. And there are t- other times when we're really relaxed and our spirit can just settle in and we can chill. And I think when we really watch it, we know what the difference is, but whenever yeah. we're dealing with clients, whenever we're dealing with team members, whenever we're dealing with our family, if we have so little space in that breathing of our spirit, we have such a lower threshold for dealing with those challenges. Whereas if we have more of a diaphragm of our spirit that has that motion up and down of healthy breathing, then we can move forward. Whereas if we have that, that, that shallowness in that, which is where that boundary and that judgment and that fear takes over, then I think we can't move forward in the true healthy manner that we need to, to be the leaders in our community and in our families that we really, really need to be. And for me, that's just a really big visual of boundaries is being able to have that, that depth of breath. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think also we need to remember that everyone is having different struggles on that regard Mm -hmm. too. So if we don't come, like he says, um, as your full self, right? And, and, and you don't show up on shining that light being the best you, then how can you be? How can you be, right? And I think that's where most of us take a look inside and say, hey, I do really need to do the work because if I am leading others, then I really need to show up on my best self. So um, I think that's a great, a great analogy and how we look at it because honestly, sometimes we are the ones that need to pick me up, but everybody's mm-hmm. looking up at you and you just have to be able to, to work on it and give yourself permission to do that. Yeah. And I love part of this book because she has 10 guideposts and the way that she structured it is 10 guideposts, pretty much to healthy living, to wholehearted living. So, and there's a couple things even before we get into those that I thought was really, really important that I want to bring in before we get to the guideposts, because there is a section and let me, oh, page 10. Before we get into that, um, she talks about how we can support each other and the ways in which we approach each other that promote an authentic experience. And I saw myself in so many of these, the ways that I have probably screwed other people in how I approach them. But she (laughs) said, you know, if, if we share our shame story with the wrong person, they can easily become more of a piece of flying debris in an already dangerous storm. We want a solid connection in a situation like this, something akin to a sturdy tree firmly planted in the ground. And that's who I want to be, not only for my team, but for my family and for my friends. And so knowing how to allow someone else to be their authentic self Mm -hmm. is so important in that journey because how can we be our authentic selves if we don't encourage other people to be their authentic selves? So right. how we relate to them is really important to allow both of us to be able to have that authentic 
foundation in the conversation? I think what I what I learned the most from this section here was when she say basically not everyone is uh, capable of understanding mm. what you are going through, right? So she mentions we need to honor our struggle by sharing sharing it with someone who has earned the right to hear it. When we are looking for compassion, it is about connecting with the right person at the right time about the right issue. I totally have highlighted. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think, you know, from what you just said, sometimes we come in and we bend and we just like, you know, want to like we're throwing up all over the place. Whoever's in the space. It's like, like, I just need to share it. So you're at the coffee machine. Let's talk. Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And And you (laughs) you shouldn't do that because then the outcome the outcome that comes from that conversation, it's probably what you didn't expect because you're not talking to the right person. So imagine how many times people have come to us, employees, uh, friends, family members, strangers, and start talking about their issue and you don't know what to say. And all you say is like, well, you know, just like she mentioned here, listen to what happened to me and maybe you can make up something out of it because you are not the right person to talk about that right and sometimes creating creating those boundaries and knowing exactly the the people and the place and 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 who you can talk to about certain things can prevent you from disappointment right prevent you from experiencing that disappointment that sometimes we um, experience when we are not talking to the right people. You know, I am not going to talk to my husband about the thing that my mom did when I was 15 years old. He's not the right person to talk about that because he's going to tell me like, well, get over it. Right. (laughs) Well, and I love, and I love that because that's exactly what she says here is that how do you respond when somebody comes to you? Right. And I've mm-hmm. learned by reading this book, sometimes I just sit there and I just listen and I don't need to respond maybe yeah. because this is their moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first one, she says, if you're talking to a friend or here's your story, I actually feels shame for you. She oh, gasps and confirms how horrified you should be. Then there's this awkward mm-hmm. silence and now you have to make her feel better. So she right. just stole your story, if you will, because she joined your story rather than helping you pull you out of it or, or whatever. And I thought that was very, I've done, I've, I've done that a lot. I got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. 100%. And then a friend who responds with sympathy. Oh, oh, I just, I feel so sorry for you. I get it. I feel with you. I've been there. Right. <laughs> and then the whole, oh, you poor thing, all that. Well, then again, you have to pull them out of the fact that they feel bad for you. Yeah. And then the friend who needs you to be the pillar of worthiness and authenticity, she can't help but be disappointed in your imperfections because by your story, you let her down. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've done that because I'm too much of a builder upper, but I can say my mom was that person. Like I would, my mom would be like, 
And why would you make that decision? Like as if Mm -hmm. I somehow had let her down. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, I think we find um, that response more from people that we look up to. Mm -hmm. We're like, you know, um, I, I told you not to do that. Or like, well, you should have listened to me or like, well, why did you do it anyways? If you knew, like, it's just responses like that, that it's okay to like respond that way. Everybody's hardwired to respond a certain way, but is that really going to help you? Well, and it's very judgmental. It's very judgmental even then, because a lot of times if you're sharing, you're still in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And to be judged in that moment brings in the shame that I'm like, well, maybe I was, I was wrong. And now all of a sudden, instead of me feeling upset, now I feel shamed. And now I'm upset yeah. and shamed. <laughs> you know? right, right. Now I feel two or three and things you, rather than just and one. And then you start doubting yourself and yeah. then it just goes downhill from there. So um, I think it was a big waking, you know, awakening when I read this, because I'm like, how many times have I doubted myself because of the responses I've gotten this way? And how many times worst have I put people down because I said, well, you should have known that, or, well, we have already discussed that many times, or, you know, from a leadership standpoint, I feel we do that a lot more often than not, because we assume that people will know, or that people will have the same line of thinking that we have or you know we want them to have so I think it's um it's a work in progress and we're <laughs> all we're all learning yeah but at the same time we have to start listening more I mean bottom line we have to start listening more and if we know that we're not the right person to respond yeah then just stay silent and listen and that's it and just acknowledge you know, I hear you. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I had a friend of mine years ago who she would say, she would say, and it's something I have to really think about doing. She would say, do you want me to listen or do you want me to respond? And Mm -hmm. I know sometimes whenever I come home at the end of the day and, you know, my husband and I are talking and I'm like, and all of a sudden he just jumps on my bandwagon and he just wants to, to, feel as offended by this situation. I'm like, hold on, this is my story. You don't get to steal it. And then I get upset with them. Right. And I'm like, back off. Or then I feel like I need to defend. Right. It's kind of like, um, I could be mad at my sister and I could gripe about my sister all day long, but you want to gripe about my sister. I'm going to go defend my sister, you know? And it like all of a sudden becomes this like crazy schizo type thing. And I think whenever we're in leadership, sometimes we just need to stop back step back and say, I want to support you. How can I support yeah. you best? Would you like for me to listen? Would you like mm-hmm. advice? Would you like for me just to be, you know, be be a part of this? How can yeah. I help you best right now? And I think that by doing it, number one, it makes somebody wonder what their goal is for this conversation. And then yeah. number two, it helps us to respond in a way that is appropriate for the moment. And then number three, when they are ready to maybe change that process, I've no longer, like if she's, if somebody says, I just want you to listen. And then maybe they run out, right. Of their, yeah. their, their venting. Then all of a sudden they go, okay, 
now I'm ready for your advice or now I'm ready. And it's like, then you know how to serve them in that space. Mm -hmm. Or wait until they ask you a question, right? Like, what are your thoughts about that? Or then you get permission to reply, right? Don't go jump in and give your full opinion on something without really knowing what is that they're looking for. So I, you know, I will always ask, so are you asking me as a friend? Are you asking me as a leader? Are you asking me um, as, you know, a mom? How, how do you want me to respond to this situation? Because <laughs> we're lots of people, right? When we were business owners, we're moms, we're wives, we're daughters, we're, you know, yeah. we're participants in life. And, yeah. you know, we respond differently to everything. You know, mm-hmm. um, my daughter had a car accident, right? So I, as an insurance agent, you know, respond one way. As a mom, I respond a different way. And yeah. sometimes that gets really confusing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, my kids don't always know what that looks like. But as we get older, we realize that our parents are that 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 conglomeration of roles just as much as we are. But it's hard for our children, especially however old they are, to understand that we are people. But we also have to understand that our team members are people and their team members. Right. And their yeah. daughters and their husbands and wives and, and, and partners. And we need to make sure that we respect at this moment, maybe they're, they're a scared child because their parent has been diagnosed with whatever. Right. So rather than us jumping in there and crying with them, then, then they feel like, oh my gosh, I need to take care of you. Now we need to be there to just support them and be able to to just really dig deep with them in a different way. It's so funny because here on page um, 66, she says, Children more, most often learn hope from their parents. As Snyder says that to learn hope, hopefulness, children need relationships that are characterized by boundaries, consistency, and support, which just speaks to what you just said. <laughs> and she says, I think it's also empowering to know that I have the ability to teach my children how to hope. It's not a, <laughs> a crapshoot. It is a conscious choice. Um, I love that. Hope is a conscious choice. We think of hope as something that automatically comes like, oh, I hope this happens, you know, because it's what we want to happen. Mm -hmm. When we think about hope, it's a conscious choice. I like that. And you have, you have to make it work. It's not, it's it's not just going to happen. You have to make it work. And that's just for everything, right? we all play different roles in different times of the day with different people. And when we have stepped into those roles, we need to learn how to quickly adapt on how we're going to react um, and how we are going to provide them with the, I will say, conscious choice of how this relationship is going to go right? Mm -hmm. You can, you can choose to be the servant leader, you can choose to be the jerk, you can choose to be, you know, that compassionate person. At the end of the day, any relationship with your children, with your employees, with your team, with anyone that you form in your life, 
is a conscious choice you are making and you need to be able to understand how to step into that vulnerability and you need to learn how to create that power within yourself to support them and to support you when most needed, right? Absolutely. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I have as a quote that I, I open the book and I have it written down, you need to have the audacity of authenticity. Mm. And um, from everything on this book, having the audacity of authenticity talks in many volumes about everything we kind of just talked about because unless you show up as yourself and you bring yourself into the table, all imperfect and all because not everybody has the right the right things to say the right choices to make we are not perfect at all i think then just then is when you start experiencing that acceptance that you are looking for not just for others but from yourself i agree and that's actually guidepost number one is cultivating authenticity. And mm -hmm. that that guidepost is all really about letting go of what other people think, and just being authentic. And yeah. it is such a choice to be authentic. I mean, yeah. I, I'm the queen of and, I, and the, people don't always need to know all this stuff about me, but I'm just gonna say it anyway, that I am the queen of when that little white lie moment comes in. Like, I'm not a liar. I do not like, I like, I am the world's worst liar. Like I will, I won't, re I don't remember what I told one person versus the other. I'm not a good liar. So I just avoid it whenever possible. But whenever there are little moments like, oh, you know, did you already run the dishes? Instead of saying, I don't know, I'll probably say yes, even though I know that I don't know. Or, I mean, that's a really bad example, but you know, there are times that I have caught myself through trying to be a more conscious human being that I hear this whole little dialogue in my head of, should I say something? Should I not? Should I do this? Should I not? What am I doing? And at that moment, I have to sit there and go, Teresa, suck it up little buttercup and just be real. You know, mm -hmm. at, at this moment, maybe I did not do my best on that project. Maybe I didn't, maybe I did completely forget to be able to send off that document to the underwriter today. You know, I mean, maybe I dropped the ball. And you know what, when I do, I need to be authentic in that moment. But there are times that I sit back and I think, oh, I did that, but maybe the email didn't go out. Maybe it got stuck in my outbox, you know, <laughs> but the reality is, classic. <laughs> reality is I never sent it, you know, no. I never <laughs> even wrote it, you know, but oh, I sent you the wrong email address. I fat fingered your email address, right? And those again, it should be there. Click. Yeah, check your spam. I'm sure. Let me resend it just in case. <laughs> you know, but when we get to those moments, those little moments that chip away at our authenticity, right? Yeah. And that whenever we don't step up to the plate and be honest, then it is a a, a integrity thing down the road mm -hmm. with that person that, oh, you know, she's forgotten to, or she, she, she had emails stuck in her outbox last three times that we talked, you know, at some point it comes, it comes to fruition that you're not really being real here, you know? And that's probably a really bad thing to say. Cause I don't think of myself as like, you know, a liar. I'll just tell somebody flat out, 
But that's one thing I love about my husband. And everybody knows, you know, um, if you listen to the other podcasts, we have a two whole episode series on our divorce and our reconnection and remarriage and what that did with the business and our families and, and all that. But one thing that I love about him that I trust more than anything is he does not lie to me. He would rather hurt me than lie to me. And sometimes we have to work on that hurt me part (laughs) that we can, we can tell me the truth without, you know, being brutal. But at the same point, he, he doesn't lie to me. And I know that I have confidence in his, in his, how do I put it? It is authenticity that he will tell me the truth. But if I break that with my team members, because I'm like, oh, that must be stuck in my outbox or, oh, I certainly did that, but I didn't really, then that, that breaks authenticity going forward. Are you ready to transform the way your business communicates? Look no further than Lightspeed Voice, the ultimate solution for insurance agencies seeking a seamless communication. I've used them for over eight years. I'm telling you, what I'm reading is the truth. Picture this, crystal clear calls, advanced features, unparalleled, flexible, tailored, just for you. That's Lightspeed Voice. Tired of drop calls and outdated systems? Lightspeed Voice has your back. Say goodbye to communication hiccups and hello to a new era of efficiency. I love that. Boost productivity with features like call recording, voice to email, and effortless call transfers. Work from the office, from home, or on the go. Lightspeed Voice keeps you connected wherever your business takes you. Don't worry about the transition. Our dedicated support and onboarding teams will guide you every step of the way. Make the switch to Lightspeed and join the ranks of satisfied insurance agency owners like me experiencing the power of seamless communication. Ready to elevate your agency? Visit lightspeedvoice.com or call 877.97-VOICE to schedule your free demo. Lightspeed Voice, we're more than just talk. Cast approved. Well, and trust too, like you you need, if if you want them to come to you on their full self, authentic, truthful, you need to act the same way, right? Like yep. the moment you start doing that is the moment you enable them not to come as their full selves into the table, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, if you are unable to accept your own mistakes, how do you expect them to accept theirs and to step into that area of trust right so it's very minimal but and you think it might not be a good example but I think it's the perfect example because how do you expect to hold others accountable when you can't hold yourself accountable for those actions right exactly so I think I think being aware And I love the word cultivating because it's a farming word, right? You cultivate Mm -hmm. the earth. You have to go work the earth. And like we talked about before, the doing the work, right? Is Mm -hmm. when that thought comes up in our minds, should I say, uh, 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 it's, you know, uh, oh, it's just stuck in my outbox. How did that happen? Instead of being in that moment, because we're consciously aware of what we're doing. And I think especially whenever we read books like this, we become more consciously aware of our faults. But when I'm in that moment, I have to sit back and go, you know what? I can sit here and lie to you and tell you that it's in my outbox. But the reality is I just forgot. I just plum forgot. So you know what? We're going to, we're going to go ahead and we're going to send that on out. And I need to apologize right now that that was something that I just dropped the ball on. And that cultivates authenticity because you're choosing to be able to do that. 
Right, right. I love that. I love it. And then the next type post is cultivating self-compassion, which is letting go of perfectionism. And I, did, did you, I'm going to actually see if I can pull this up, but did you, my, I have a, I have a real, I have a real perfectionism issue. I feel like I either don't try or I have to be perfect. And I have in 100 all or nothing type Mm -hmm. thing with that. And I always feel like I am not enough in that arena. I mean, I did, we did a podcast with some girls from uh, my, my mastermind group, BT 30. And we talked about um, the uh, imposter syndrome, right? And Mm -hmm. I always want to be able to walk into any room in my five inch stiletto Christian Louboutin shoes. I want to be like 110 pounds. I want to have long legs and I want to be able to just rock the world and look perfect and have my hair looking great and wearing a great little designer outfit and just have everybody go. Ooh, right. Right. And the reality is I'm five foot three and you know, my little size, you know, 12 to 14 self is not going to be that person. (laughs) You know, it's just never, ever going to be. And I judge myself because I'm not where I want to be or where I think I need to be. And that imposter syndrome is really, really closely, I think, affiliated with that perfectionism because we need to Mm -hmm. let go of perfectionism. We do. We do. And um, I think, I think it's, it's such a big problem for not just, I feel that girls, the girls growing up right now are do, are doing better because they're just accepted, right? We are we have been working for many years very very hard on acceptance and just show up as yourself. But for us that didn't have that, we struggle every day with that question: like, how is people going to perceive me? Am I going to be enough? Do do I have what it takes to get up there? Um, you know, I am not your, your model that, you know, it's, it's five, seven hundred and ten, right? Um, so, but this is a media problem where like, right. it's just embedded that you have to look a certain way. You have to have achieved a certain, you know, degree of publicity or whatever in order to be successful. And is I think more than perfectionism is is shame for not being representing what people think is success, right? So I think it's just too many, it's too many things intertwining there. But at the same time, it's it's learning that if you were invited to that stage, it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. So perfect or not or five, seven hundred and ten or not, you have something that it is perfect. What that is completely up to you to discover, but then we need to tap on that. We need to tap mm-hmm. on that and say, hey, you're just perfect the way you are, right? And it's just it's just recognizing that you are unique and that you your own self is totally perfect the way it is and not just at the image of what others want to see or are expected to see um absolutely so 
she says here, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. Mm -hmm. If I look perfect, live perfectly, and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. And I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to, I'm going to dig into my old religious roots back in the day. Okay. I used to always think, and this is kind of the way that I was raised that if, if something didn't go right, it's because I didn't do something right. Mm-hmm. that I didn't do what it took or work hard enough to achieve blank, right? Like there's always this thing. If you want to lose weight, then you need to go to the gym and you need to work hard enough to be able to do that. Well, no, I also need to not eat certain foods and, you know, and I'm, and I'm never going to be five foot seven, right? I mean, that's just not going to happen. There are certain things that are just not going to happen. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what I do to try to be that person, right? There are certain things in our life that we think that if we're the perfect wife, that our spouse will never stray. We think that if we are the perfect daughter, that we will somehow earn somebody's love, maybe that didn't give it to us when we were, when we were younger, right? We think that if we look a certain way or we do something that that boy will really like us, right? We think that if we have the right spreadsheets and if we make the right decisions financially, that we're going to run a healthy business and that we're yeah. going to have these teams that love us. And I mean, I hear people on the women of IAOA that are like, I buy my team gifts. I give them these days off. We do this, that, and the other. And then this person goes and takes a job with a totally different agent down the street and, you know, or just doesn't show up for work one day. We think that if we do the right things that we're going to earn a certain result. And when we do things for a result, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we tie what we do to a result, then somehow that means that something we did did not work out or something that like we didn't do something we should have done if the result isn't there at the end of the day. And there are so many times that that is not true. That Mm -hmm. is completely not true. And it creates in us a sense of, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even know. It just creates in us a sense of fear that we have to go above and beyond to be able to do stuff. Like, for example, I do enjoy running. I don't do it as much as I should. And I used to run a whole lot. I used to run marathons and things like that. And I remember that when I ran my marathon, which is 26.2 miles, I actually ran 28 miles because I didn't want to be able to hit before my marathon, because I did not want to hit that wall that everybody talks about and then have the struggle at the end of it. I still did, but in a different way. Um, plus, I live in Texas and I happened to train in a really flat area and I went to a very hilly half ma- uh, full marathon, which was not a good decision either. But um, then in my mind, I, well, I didn't train right, right? I mean, we always have these things. My husband is a very, very light runner. Like he is a runner. He's a true runner. He's a true, like he has the bones of a runner. So to him, if he wants to go run a half marathon, it's 13 miles. If he runs 10, he knows he's fine. Me, I want to go run 15 because I know that I'm going to hate myself the last three miles. And I don't want to hate myself when I'm pushing myself to that level. I want to do that on a private level where I hate myself, not on a public level. And so I think that's part of that perfectionism 
that we try to control the outcome, but we really need to let go of that. And I love what she said on the opposite page of what you said, because I love what you, what you had said, the quote, perfectionism is not the same thing as striving for your best. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism is not about a healthy achievement and growth. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect and act perfect, then we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. It's a shield. Perfectionism is a 20 ton shield that we are looking, lurking around thinking that it will protect us when in fact it is really the thing protecting us from taking flight. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was super, super awesome because we all want to fly, but if we have that 20 pound shield, we cannot fly. Mm -hmm. Because we think we have to do certain things in certain way in order to get there. We're like, all you need is to embrace yourself and embrace those around you. You know, back to what you just said about the example of, um, you know, I did everything I could for my for my employees, and then he didn't show up or he went down the street. But maybe maybe you did what you think was perfect for you to do for them. But you really do. You really didn't do what they re- what they needed or what they craved because you didn't take the time to ask them or to learn that. So sometimes that perfectionism of like, oh, this worked for Teresa, it should work for Monica at her agency. No, it doesn't. It doesn't fit everybody, and not because you know. Teresa is having this success and she's doing these things and you think she's perfect, it's going to be the same for you because you are doing your own life in your own terms and Teresa is doing hers. So I think when we try to copy, which is a lot that happens with perfectionism, we try to copy because others have have a look that they have this perfect life, right? Because there is one thing on what looks like and another thing was really really what happens um I wish I could translate a term we have in Spanish this is nadie sabe lo que hay en la olla solamente que la menea like nobody knows what's really on the pot on only the person that it's making and steering the pot right Mm -hmm. so um it doesn't sound great in English but in Spanish it's like super powerful um And it's true, like not because something looks perfect means like it's perfect. And we shouldn't be using those shields and and those examples in order to try to live our own, our own life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I like that. I need to work on that. The letting go of perfectionism, but I need to talk myself down off that tree because sometimes I do recognize Teresa at this moment, you're just out of control. (laughs) And I have this whole (laughs) little talk of to myself. I'm like, girl. You need to stop, just stop, you know, and, and you just, and I just, I need to just say, and, and, and one of the best things about COVID, I have to say this is that with doing the podcast during COVID, so many women are like, don't record video, don't record video. Cause I want to be able to have my hair up and I want to have makeup on. Well, then like, I was all like spending 30, 45 minutes doing my hair and my makeup, just do a podcast. And like, everybody else was like, no, we don't want that. So I was like, okay. So literally like right now, I mean, you guys, you guys can't see me because we're not going to publish the video, but I'm sitting here with Monica. I got no makeup on. I'm in a, 
life is good t-shirt, you know, I mean, yeah. and I got my shorts, I'm sitting on and my bed. Having I, this have a pencil. I have yeah. a pencil in my hair and I'm in like gym clothes. Yeah. Good. Life and is I love great. it. <laughs> and we know we can come to the table and be yeah. authentic because this is just what Certainly. we're doing. You know, but what did you say, Auntie, about, you know, talking to yourself, you know, she mentions here, self-compassion, self-compassion, a moment of self-compassion can change your entire day. And I think we owe it to ourselves to have those little me to me talks where you're like, you got to take a break, dude, just, just walk away, just walk away, breathe, you know, go grab some water, yogurt, whatever it is that you need, <laughs> a shower, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just recompose and come back strong. Um, and I is. think, you know, those little moments of acknowledging and, 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 you know, and being showing aware yourself. Of, our, of what we're thinking and feeling to call yeah. ourselves a way to do that. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So the third guidepost is cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. Hmm. What do you, what do you feel like you do to numb, to numb your, on the podcast, when she did her podcast on this by uh, the unlocking us, it was, what do you do to numb? And I think, and I, yeah, for me, it's eat. I have it highlighted right here. Because <laughs> when, when, when we, like, when I was reading it, I was like, what the what the F, this is me. So, <laughs> yep. so for me, food, staying busy. Yeah, busy is a huge number. Constant, constant change. Yes. Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to like. I love it. My husband is like, you just really watched 13 episodes of this thing. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I just did, boo. Let's do 14. But I'm staying busy and food are my two numbing yeah. habits where like I cannot, I just don't know. And I, and this is something I am working on because I just don't know how to handle it yet. But I need to be telling, I tell myself that I am being productive, but that's not it. I'm just numbing. Because I cannot have a moment of silence or peace where I am just sitting in the couch and reading a nice book and just enjoying the day. I cannot do that because I'm like, right now I could be making more money or doing this or, you know, I should be grocery shopping or I can accomplish X, Y, and Z. So I almost feel guilty when I have that free time. And I numb it with staying busy. So what is the next project I need to work on? You know, yeah. do, do I need five jobs? That's kind of like how I operate. And it was very eye-opening to understand that those were numbing habits and I wasn't being productive. <laughs> yes. I think for me, I find numbing things to do. And I know that sounds redundant, but for me, my husband always tells me, why are you doing these things that I need to delegate off to somebody else? 
And there are things that are kind of more of a rote memorization type thing. Like right now we're doing a data, we, we moved um, the Austin agency onto the same agency management system platform with the Dallas agency. They were on two different management systems. Mm. So to me, I found that when I do, I do something repetitive, I do something um, that doesn't have high importance, if that makes sense. I find myself checking email. I find myself ex- like re- researching something, you know, like um, I went one, one Friday, I decided to, to start uh, investigating what, what is it, a circuit or a cricket or whatever. It's, it's a crafting thing. I yeah. spent probably three Perfect. hours watching YouTube videos about a crafting machine that I probably won't even buy, you know, <laughs> because I'm like, I don't have time to do this, but I really want to be able to buy one. But then, oh, well, oh, well look, now they have this little cup thingy that like squeezes the cup and makes these like graphics on the cup. And then, oh, there's this other piece of equipment that you can buy. And oh, look, how does this knife work? I spent three hours doing that and I did not need to be doing that. You're going to do cupboards, cups and shirts now? I don't, maybe I'm going to go have an, open up an Etsy shop, I don't yeah. know. but I was like, Ooh, I could do this and I could make all my power women and insurance guests, all this stuff. And like, and I could make Christmas gifts for all my clients. I'm not going to make 1300, whatever for my clients. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just not, you know, and, um, but I spent three hours doing it and why, because something had ticked me off with a client that morning and da, 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 da. And I was like, well, I'm just going to take time off. And so my idea of time off was just busy. It wasn't productive and it didn't do anything for me and it didn't solve mm-hmm. any problems. You know, it was fun. I have to say that. And I used to craft a lot. And a part of me is thinking, well, if I crafted more, would that be like a hobby that I could pick up that might be healthy? I don't know. I still haven't made my decision on that, but did I need to spend three hours watching YouTube videos? No, I did not, you know, (laughs) but I mean, you know, and yesterday I was doing some stuff and I find that whenever I'm on the phone or whenever I'm doing something that I feel is, um, not moving as quickly as I want it to, I will go Mm -hmm. online and do like, I'll start deleting emails or I'll start doing, you know, numbing things, things that, are not important to be able to do things I could delegate to somebody else or whatever, but things that I do to try to, and I know, I mean, I, I think about the fact that this is something I could do in my sleep and I numb myself. Now, when I get ticked off, I'll get my car and I'll go get a diet Dr. Pepper up at McDonald's and I'll go get myself a, you know, a, 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 McDouble cause it's a little hamburger, but it's the salt and the meat and the cheese that for me, it's therapeutic. Yes. Yeah. As soon as that is. <laughs> All right. So you well, want to We're not really going to publish this, are we? Are we going to publish this? I'm just in here I thinking think maybe so. we need to just stop. You know what? I'm just kidding. For me. Oh, my God. Now that you mentioned McDonald's, I haven't had McDonald's in a very long time. But for me, it was the McFlurry with the French fries inside it. Girl. Mm-hmm. 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 And, the big, and the Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Yup. I don't know. There is something about it. It's delicious. <laughs> it is. It's okay. They're guilty pleasures. But I don't do it that often. I don't do it that often. <laughs> now the diet Dr. Pepper thing, I do do a lot. I mean, that's my jam. But at the same point, I need to get rid of that. But I mean, you know, I try not to be able to do the McDonald's things very often. But I've really thought about that too. Why is it that that's my numbing thing to do? Why is it that sitting in my car, in the parking lot, 
And that's literally, it's like something I do. I don't want anybody with me. It's like, I don't want anybody with me when I go to McDonald's. It's my private place. I don't know. I'm really weird. But anyway, but I think it was because I grew up in a little town in Iowa and Wisconsin. We lived in two little tiny, tiny, tiny towns. We did not have a McDonald's. So for us to get a McDonald's was like, we went to the big city, you know, and it was like a special thing. And I remember my dad would always say, I'd always say, oh, let's stop off at McDonald's for lunch or whatever. And he would always go, okay, well, we're going to stop off at McDonald's for lunch. And then as we got closer and closer, he'd be like, oh, I don't see it. And I'd be like, look, it's right there. And he'd be like, I don't know where it is. I don't see it. I don't know. Oh, well, now we passed it. So now we're just going to have to eat somewhere else, you know, or now we're going to have to go home and have mom's pot roast or something. I don't know. And I think for me, it's like a childhood thing. I really do. It's like a... I really, I really, I mean, I've really been thinking a lot about that recently, about the psychology of the way that I numb and Mm -hmm. TV and um, I don't know, fast food. Anyway, I'm not going to sit here and go on that. Anyway, no, it's, you have that. We, I think it's too many aspects of the why we do what we do when, when we do it um, in order to just decompress or just, you know, numb everything that we're feeling at that moment. Um, but again, you know, they're, they're not a lot of healthy habits, habits that surround that. So we just have to be more aware of them, I guess. It's, it's, the, it's the bottom line here because, you know, we all owe it to ourselves not to do them often or, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I will say too, one of mine is music. I get my car. And I'll turn up. I love Elle King. And she has this song called I'm Not America's Sweetheart. And um, and I'll just like, I love I love like girl power music, you know, I mean, I'm just like, I'll go at it, man. My husband just laughs, you know, the stereo's blaring as I pull in the driveway. (laughs) It's always crazy. My husband does that here. Teresa, too much information. Actually talking about him, he just got home. So (laughs) he better not. He always comes in and he's singing. So I hope he doesn't. And my dog probably will start barking too because he's excited. That's awesome. <laughs> so then guidepost number four is cultivating gratitude and joy. So that what do you do to be able to cultivate joy? I think this one for me was um, what gave me a lot to think about. Because I'm like, what are the things that I really do to experience or express that I am happy or that, you know, I am grateful for others and for everything I have? I think, funny enough, I cultivate gratitude and joy when I cook for other people, Mm. um, when I um, just do anything that it's selfless that it's like oh you need to go to the supermarket I'll take care of your kid type of thing um or when someone just needs a space for like like when when my employees say you know I am overwhelmed and I say well just take a couple hours and I'll I'll see you tomorrow don't worry about taking time off or stuff like that like I feel like I cultivate gratitude and joy and I feel good and I feel joyful when I am able to do those things mm-hmm. that don't have any impact on me, but they have impact on others. Um, and, you know, it's just a, a way that 
know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just I I feel really really joyful when I step out of of me as as an individual. I I don't know, and you know that's not exactly what she um, promotes in the in 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 the book or or whatever. But I think just being able to feel myself loved that way because I'm doing these things. It's my way of um, embracing that, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, well, and I love the, that service. My love language, my um, one of my highest values, it's not my love language, one of my highest values in life is service, mm -hmm. is serving other people. I feel really, really yeah. happy when yeah. I'm serving other people. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for me too, the way to be able to cultivate joy is I used to have a friend of mine who we've, we've talked about the fact that I think maybe this friend took it a little bit too far sometimes, but she used to always say, put it in a bubble and blow it away. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's part of cultivating joy is not bringing things into my space that yeah. either are not mine to deal with, or yeah. um, I don't need to deal with right now. And I think that lets me let some things go and put them in a bubble and blow them away but simultaneously yeah. also doesn't take away my joy in that moment in that day, because I need to be able to focus on the things that are fun, that are interesting, mm -hmm. that are joyful. Sometimes I need to be more conscious of that. My, I, my love language is not gifts. I, I don't, I don't love gifts, but at the same point, I need to be more gifty because for other people, that's something that honors them. And maybe my team needs me to bring them a little something, right? Or whatever, because maybe that's one of their love languages. But I think that serving other people is a place where I find a lot of joy. But I also know that in my mind and in my soul, I have to be able to put up a boundary, like we talked about earlier, where certain things don't enter my joy space because mm -hmm. I have to protect that in my own spirit. And I love what she says um, on page 79 of my version. So if other people are reading other versions, that's different, but um, joy seems to be joy seems to me a step beyond happiness. Happiness is a sort of atmosphere that you can live in sometimes when you're lucky joy is a light that fills you with hope and faith and love. And that's actually a quote from Adela Rogers St. John's. And I love that joy is a light that fills you with hope, faith, and love. And when we put up that boundary to where there are certain things either that aren't our responsibility or that aren't in my time right now to deal with, and mm -hmm. I don't want them to steal my joy, that says that I am filled with that light because I don't want to let that light go out. Yeah, I, I love when uh, she mentions here, um, both joy and gratitude were described as spiritual practices that were bound to a belief in human interconnectedness and a power greater than us. So everyone she interviewed had that in common. And I mm -hmm. totally agree with that because one of the things that I do from time to time, you know, I don't, I don't want to this podcast to be like, or talk about religion or anything like this, but my faith and spirituality are extremely important to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I constantly do besides of the service of others is that when I'm in that phase where like, I need to reconnect with myself, 
I need to listen to gospel no matter what. And I just need to embrace that spirituality and I need to talk and I need to just feel that power. So I think, you know, there is moments that you can feel happiness, but the joy in your heart is something that only you can achieve by having that space within yourself and knowing that you are loved regardless in that this is this is yours right like this is your thing uh and no one can mess up with it so for me um you know if you ask my daughter when we ride in the car in the morning I jam to like you know gospel music and that that's what lifts me up for the day and that makes me feel joyful and that's you know, I can be cooking and then it's like I start singing and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, I know not a lot of people believe on a spirituality, but I do. And I think having that connection with whatever it is that you believe, it's one of the most important aspects of becoming in tune and experiencing everything else that you want to experience mm-hmm. when it comes to vulnerability and comes to stepping into your true self, right? Um, so I love that this specific um, topic talks about that because it's 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 big in my life, um, and I know it's big on others too. Um, and it's it's really nice to learn that happiness are moments, but joy can be constant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's deeper, yeah. you know, and it's that peace. And um, I, I, I think I love what she says. We're a nation hungry for more joy because mm-hmm. we're starving from a lack of gratitude. Lynn mm-hmm. says, and, and I'm sure that Lynn is somebody, oh, my friend Lynn Twist. Okay. So Lynn says that addressing scarcity does not mean searching for abundance, but rather choosing a mindset of sufficiency that I have enough, that I'm in a good place. And it's a, it's a faith almost that we are in a good place that tomorrow will end up in a really good place. And I can have joy right now because I'm the type of person and I went through and we talked about this on your podcast, but I went through sections of my life. And I used to always say every five years, my life falls apart when I was younger. And, um, I, cause when I was, um, when I was 19, I got pregnant with my first child, which it was in, 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 in retrospect, a wonderful situation 28 years later. But at that point when you're 19 and you're at Dallas Baptist university, being pregnant is not a great thing. And then, um, you know, when I was a little bit older, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she passed away. And then, um, you know, when I was 25, my house burned down and it was, and then when I was 30, you know, my, my marriage went through, my first marriage went through a very difficult time due to a certain event. Right. And by 35, I was divorced and from my first husband. And it just kind of, I used to always say every five years, I had this really, really difficult thing. So then every five years I'll be looking for like a really, really bad thing. So I think part of joy is not worrying for the other foot to drop or the other shoe to drop. It's taking a step of faith and saying, and I know we've talked about this in the past too, is that John D. Martini says that everything is on the way to where I need to be. Nothing is in my way from where I'm going. So I think having that confidence and that joy, Mm -hmm. having that confidence 
that no matter what happens today, I am on the way for what's best for me. Nothing is in the way. And no matter what is going on, I know that tomorrow is another day and I'm going to be just fine. And I can learn from what I'm going through today. That gives us that underlying joy that helps to push us through when happiness comes and goes, but where we can have that consistency underlying everything of just joy because we know, and we have the faith that tomorrow is going to be better and it's going to be okay. Yeah. I think, um, she says, joy uh, is what happens to us when we allow ourselves to recognize how good things really are. Mm, allowing think, ourselves to recognize. Yes, how good, how good things really are. And I think regardless of what stage, what situation we're in, we always say, just look at the good side of it, right? And I think it's joy is just practicing more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think too, we talk about the numbing and we talk about some of that. I think whenever we allow ourselves to not numb and she makes a really good point in here that whenever we numb the pain on certain things, we take away the joy of being able to get through it in the light. And Mm -hmm. there's two really great quotes that I printed off here. And it says, we cannot selectively numb our emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we numb the positive emotions as well, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really, really big. But then the next quote that I have here on this piece of paper is that the dark does not destroy the light. It defines it. It's Mm -hmm. our fear of the dark that casts our joy into the shadows. So by not being afraid of the dark, by not being afraid of the pain, we can find the joy in and through the pain that helps to pull us through. And it's not until we can be conscious of that process and that symbiotic atmosphere Mm -hmm. that we can help our team, that we can help our kids, that we can help our spouses because our team comes in. And I mean, I had, I had, a, I have a wonder, wonderful account manager who during the ice storms in February, her whole apartment was just obliterated. Like they, like they literally took everything wow. out, like with a dumpster. I mean, and she ended up living with family and all this other stuff. Well, she came in at one point, not too long ago, just really stressed with the whole process of the fact they were redoing her apartment. When's she going to get in? She's got to be able to buy furniture. She's living with family. You know, she has a young child. She just is a single mom. I mean, just all this stuff. So allowing her to sit in that listening appropriately, like we talked about earlier, not helping her numb the pain, but helping her get through the pain to be able Mm -hmm. to see the light ahead is a gift that we can be there and be authentic to our team And if we can give that to our team, we can give that to our people in our lives. I think that's what leadership is in a very authentic Mm -hmm. way. And I'm kind of putting together all five of the first guideposts because, you know, the first that we're pretty much at that fifth guidepost, which is cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need for certainty. I can't guarantee what's going to happen, but we can cultivate all these things in authenticity and know that we're in the right space. And right. help other people to know that they are as well. That's true. That's true. And, you know, it's not that we need to become experts on this, but just your willingness to actually embrace it and wanting others to embrace it, it's enough. 
it's mm -hmm. enough because you are planting that seed, right? We're all a work in progress and we definitely have the power to change, to change others and to change us and to change everything around us. So if you want to live with this, you know, whole, wholeheartedly life, right? Then you just have to embrace it and you just have to surround yourself with individuals uh, and people that you can have the conversation with and that you can actually um, embrace it with. So it's all about how you are not only practicing it, but also attracting others to practice mm. it. I love that. And giving them the space to practice it in your, in your space. Right. The permission. Right. Right. And um, I know we're right at we're right at probably a little bit over an hour at this point. We're through the first five and I, I want to be able to kind of wrap up this episode on this one. And right here is where I'm going to leave it at. And I love this quote. One of the greatest barriers to connection is the cultural importance we place on going at it alone. Somehow we've come to equate success with not needing anyone. Many of us are willing to extend a helping hand but we're very reluctant to reach out to help for help when we need it ourselves. It's mm -hmm. as if we've divided the world into those who offer help and those who need help. But the truth is that we are both. Beautiful. And I love that. Well, everybody, this has been another awesome episode of power women and in insurance. And Monica Edwani is our guest today. She has a great, podcast called uh transcend with m look her up on all the social media um you know what monica if people want to reach out to you and be able to pick your brain see your podcast talk about virtual assistance want to be able to chit chat about insurance agency management sales all the things that you are the queen of how can people go ahead and reach out to you People can call me, my cell phone, 508-963-9108. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Instagram. Um, very active on LinkedIn. So I always suggest everybody to go there because the others are more personal accounts. But yeah, no, I'm always, always more than happy to have any conversation. I love Thank it. Thank you for like having me and I can't wait to do the next five. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. And it's so good. And guys, the next five, I just want to make sure you guys see, we're going to talk about creativity. We're going to talk about play and rest. We're going to talk about calm and stillness. And we're going to talk about the things that coming out of some of the darkness. And we talked about some of the things that hold us back in the first five guideposts. I think the next five are the things that propel us and they're yeah. things that create the joy in that space. So join us next week and everybody uh, make sure you follow the podcast, make sure that you uh, follow us so that you can make sure that you get every single episode that comes on out. Make sure that you also give us a review online. We love that. And reach out to me and suggest other amazing women for us to be able to connect with, help them to tell their stories and be able to be inspirational beacons in the insurance space. So everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Make go outside and make the world safe for democracy. Talk to you later. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. 
really. We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.